Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Zoom in on global affairs with insightful debates and exclusive interviews. This is World Insight. Welcome to World Insight. This week, the Public Forum, the World Trade Organization's largest outreach event, opens. Up for discussion with all important stakeholders are the most crucial global and trade issues. Over 2,000 representatives are at the forum from civil society, academia, business, government, and international organizations. They are taking up global trade's latest development, seeking ways to enhance the multilateral trading system. On Tuesday, when the public forum opens, WTO unveils its annual World Trade Report. The report focuses on how re-globalization can support society, security, inclusiveness, and environmental sustainability. Re-globalization is a word that the WTO and its Director General, Ngozi Okonjo-Iweala, used often to describe increased international cooperation and broader integration. The report confirms that geopolitical tensions are beginning to affect the trade flows and fragment trading relationships. And important data, as WTO Secretariat calculations find, the trade flows of goods between two hypothetical geopolitical blocks based on voting patterns at the UN General Assembly have grown four to six percent more slowly than trade within these blocks. But the report contends that despite these findings, international trade continues to thrive, implying that verified data hardly supports talk of deglobalization. The publication points to the expansion of trade in digital services, environmental goods, and global value chains, in addition to the resilience of trade and recent global crisis. Welcome back. This is World Inside. I'm Tian Wei. As global warming takes its toll on the planet, economies' transition to clean and renewable energy is crucial. That entails high-tech innovation, efficient global supply chains, and serious international cooperation. In a recent interview with Borge Brande, president of the World Economic Forum, he argues that the world's top two economies, China and the U.S., should work together on important global agendas. It's incredible to see how fast China has uh, transformed when it uh, comes to also, for example, renewable energy. In a few years, uh, China has become the superpower of um, the renewables. And uh, today, renewables is more than 40% of the electricity production of uh, China. That's more than what is produced by coal. So that's uh, a very uplifting news. So China already have become the largest producer of renewable energy and also the user of it. Uh, what does that mean for the rest of the world? So President Xi Jinping's vision uh, that has been laid out is that uh, China should uh, peak when it comes to CO2 emissions by no later than 2030 and net zero by 2060. 
but what is uh, really happening now is that uh, you see that uh, green energy renewables is growing so fast, uh, both uh, solar but also wind. And as you said, China is not only no manufacturing windmills and solar panels, it's also the fastest one walking the talk. So there is uh, so much renewable energy coming in. Of course, uh, also over time, uh, the phasing out of uh, coal is important, but one also has to understand that uh, you have to balance in the electricity system so you don't have blackouts. You know that solar and wind cannot today be stored in huge batteries because it's too expensive. So you have to balance this either with hydropower, nuclear, or with coal. So hopefully there will be break uh, breakthroughs also on the battery side in the years to come. So the renewable uh, proportion can go from 40 to maybe 70, 80%. Uh, what is the picture in terms of timetable are you looking at globally, particularly after participating in the CSET meeting? So there is a big growth in renewable energy globally. It's not going as fast as we would like because our planet uh, is on fire. And if there is a fire, you have to uh, also move fast to deal with it. But uh, one of the things that are also uh, on the positive side is that the price for renewables have fallen so dramatic. Ten years ago, uh, the price of solar was ten times what it is today. Ten years ago, the price of wind was seven times. And then you had to subsidize it. Today, solar is probably the cheapest way of producing electricity in many parts of the world. So it competes much better than, for example, coal, even natural gas, LNG. So this is uh, incredible uh, positive news. But of course, the solar works best when there is sun, and the wind works best when there is wind. So we also have to balance this. So that we have to have other energy sources too. That's why I think you know, doubling down on green hydrogen and also other uh, energy sources like, for example, fusion uh, when it comes to nuclear, but also fourth generation nuclear plants that China is also planning is uh, of uh, big interest because there, there is no danger of a meltdown because it's in a black box. So if there is no electricity, you will not see the kind of meltdown as you saw in Fukushima that caused this uh, terrible, terrible catastrophe. Meanwhile, there is an issue of raw materials. As we know, many of these renewable energies will be produced with components that are made of special materials. It is true that some of the rare materials, including rare earth, but also uh, lithium, that is very important in battery uh, production, there is not enough of these minerals currently at our disposal. But there are resources out there, so I just think we have to really move faster in developing this, because I hope that that will not be the thing that stops the development of the new uh, renewables. Because we need energy for development. You know, there's 800 million people on this planet that don't even have access to electricity. We can't say to them, oh, you cannot have electricity and put on the lights so your children can read at night. That's not an option. We also have to make sure that we eradicate poverty with energy, but we have to decouple that from growth in CO2. And then there is no other way than rolling out 
the renewables and to roll out solar panels, wind, and etc. We also need battery capacities, storing capacities, and then we need those minerals. So we have to really, really share this, and we have to collaborate. We have to just think win-win and not zero-sum gun. Mm -hmm. At this point, of course, it's difficult because uh, of the leftovers of the pandemic and also geopolitics, just to name a few. So from your perspective, how to constructively get things done? So the big paradox these days is that because of the global fragmentation, and uh, there is so much competition between countries, and also polarization, is that even on those things we really, really need to collaborate there is a lack of collaboration. Because those problems that really are the toughest ones we are faced with travel across borders without a passport. Possible new pandemic doesn't travel with a passport. CO2 emission and greenhouse gases don't travel with a passport. That shows that we're all in it together. But we're not acting accordingly. We are more now looking at uh, how we can decouple, how we can then uh, also find uh, then uh, negative sides with uh, each, each other. And that is not going to bring prosperity. Also on the trade side, there's so much we can do together. And uh, we have seen for decades after decades that when we trade with each other, it also creates prosperity. Of course, you can adjust a bit and say you want to secure your supply chains and all this. But let's not lose the baby with the bathwater because then we're losing also growth, prosperity, and uh, collaboration. Do you think we can be as stupid as forgetting about the benefits that trade has brought to us? I don't think we can totally exclude it. But let's now use common sense. But sometimes I have the feeling that common sense is not that common anymore. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting comment you just made. Having said that, talking about trade, we see uh, the interaction between China and the United States over the past uh, few months. We have seen three ministers level visit together with some special envoy level as well. So how do you see, including the latest one from uh, Commerce Secretary uh, Raimondo in China, how do you see these kind of interactions could send signals to the rest of the world about our economy, about the potential that we can still live in peace? I think things look uh, a bit better now between the G2 China and the U.S. being more than 40% of the global economy. A lot is at stake. And the visits from uh, Secretary Blinken, also from uh, Secretary Yellen, and also Secretary Kerry, and now with uh, Secretary also Raimondo here, we are at least seeing that uh, China and U.S. is talking together. I don't think they agree uh, on everything, that's for sure. But this notion of total decoupling that someone raised a few years ago, I think, is no left. It's not, not the choice. No, it's, it's not the choice. Uh, of course, there are other notions like de-risking and uh, French shoring and etc. But the World Economic Forum has also looked at the cost of uh, decoupling. If we were to decouple, it would cost us 8% maybe of the global GDP. That is worse than the worst depression ever. That would lead uh, to a lot of poverty and also a lot of uh, people like, would lose uh, their livelihood. But today, I think we're seeing more an uh, adjustment of uh, this. 
And uh, I think it's good that the U.S. and, and, uh, and China is talking together. What we probably would see, though, is that most of the trade, U.S.-China uh, trading 700 billion U.S. dollars together uh, annually will continue. But there will be some areas on very advanced semiconductors, technology, but also products of dual use, uh, civil and uh, defense that may be will not be traded, but as long as 90-95% of the trade uh, can continue, uh, that's not that bad. But for China, uh, this is a challenging moment in the sense that we also see that uh, the consumption patterns are changing in many of the important export countries. Because just uh, during the pandemic, we bought TVs, we bought furnitures, everything that uh, was like commodities. But now after the pandemic, people want to travel, they want to go to the theater, there's an increase in the services. And of course, services as an export and import is also growing, but China is a manufacturing hub of the world. So in addition to some of uh, the um, kind of uh, so-called risk handling, de-risking, means that some of it is, goes to Mexico, Vietnam, and India. But, but I'm happy to also share that uh, medium, long term, I'm very bullish, optimistic on behalf of the Chinese economy. How do you see this uh, apparently global trend of people looking more inward rather than outward? At least that's what some analysts believe. What does that mean for trade and for our interactions, the nature of our interactions in the future. So global trade has been also a guarantee for substantial global growth. And you know, we, we are now in the lowest growth we have seen in a long time, the global growth 3% this year. And uh, if we continue on a strategy of partly decoupling or de-risking, we don't trade with each other, we don't use the comparative advantages in the economy, then we can go into a decade of slow growth. We can repeat the 1970s, and everyone will lose from that. Not only a few nations, everyone will be poorer. So we have to know, take the necessary measures to rebuild trust in the World Trade Organization, rebuild trust in trading with each other, and see that this zero-sum game thinking that really is an impasse. We have to break this impasse now to create also growth. Of course, we have to also go through some structural changes to make this happen. But let's avoid slow growth. Meanwhile, we are also seeing the trend that everybody is trying to build the same thing that everybody else is doing, meaning there will be repetition in global supply chains. How would you compare what we experience in history to uh, what is going on right now? Do we all together have to hit a very hard wall before we stop this? I hope not. And I think there are some silver linings too. I think the breakthroughs on the technology side, not only on artificial intelligence, but also in the Internet of Things, the way we share data, but also when it comes to, for example, the new ways we deal with medicine, synthetic biology, will create so many changes and innovations. Of course, it will kill some jobs, but I think overall it will create more jobs and more interesting jobs. Jobs higher up in the value chain that will pay better salaries. And I think these new technologies uh, will 
bring us really into the fourth industrial revolution or even the fifth industrial uh, revolution. And that will also increase productivity. And with increased productivity, it's also increased prosperity. And uh, this, I think, is very important for China too. And I said, uh, medium, long term, I'm very optimistic on the Chinese economy. And why is that? One is that 11 million students leave universities in China every year. That's a huge, huge force for change and innovation. And uh, we also know that uh, China is leading in many of these new technologies that will be so important for increasing productivity in the future. For those that are like hanging in there and say, oh, we don't want change. Of course, uh, we have seen in history that those nations are not doing well. It's those nations that are open for change and embracing the new technologies. Also, of course, uh, the big investments in infrastructure in China that maybe some people say have over-invested, uh, that may be the case. But overall, of course, for a country like China to have world-class infrastructure, speed trains, roads, airports over time, this will be very, very important. And I also see now that China is diversifying, as you also mentioned, its manufacturing. Also then uh, inviting to more domestic than consumption, but also moving more into also services and services export. High quality growth, yeah. as they say. Yeah, high quality growth, definitely. And then we also see that China is now making many bilateral trade agreements and regional trade agreements. So I think um, US uh, is around 15-16% uh, of China's export. Mm -hmm. So there is uh, then 84% uh, of the export goes to other countries. So China will also diversify and find its way and I think this is now uh, something that is looked at, that there will be structural changes. Structural changes uh, are not necessarily uh, very comfortable, but the alternative is worse, because the only way to grow and revive growth is that you invest in the new technologies, in research and development, right. in students, and quality of life. Uh, let me ask you about development. We have seen increasingly the names of Global North and Global South are being emphasized today particularly after the pandemic. Earlier, I was at the BRICS summit, and I have learned something quite interesting from those emerging economies and developing countries, that it is not just infrastructure, but also industrialization that these countries want. Of course, they don't want to go back to the old type industrialization, meaning using tremendous amount of resources, not environmentally friendly, but rather they want to have the different levels of industrialization taking place at the same time because they're developing countries. So how do you see the World Economic Forum, together with your partners around the world, be able to provide more impetus, ideas, synergy, and support to the development issues? No, very important. And there is a fact still that the, that the emerging economies are growing much faster than the industrialized economies, even in this uh, situation that we are today. But it's the leapfrogging that is now important. And for us, it's also very important to underline the importance of digitalization and having digital access. If you have digital access, you can be part of the fourth industrial revolution. 
if you are in a situation where uh, most of you people don't even have uh, access to affordable internet, you lose... Or even electricity. Yeah, and you lose an edge. And uh, there is 3.6 billion people that don't have digital access. And this gap has to be closed very fast. That's why the World Economic Forum has launched with our business partners and different governments this uh, initiative where we want to connect a billion people, the Edison Initiative. Mm -hmm. And we already, by this initiative, have been part of connecting 400 million people where we work with the private sector. And there are very cost-effective ways of doing this. You can reach millions of millions of people with very low cost. And even if they then get to sell and get connected, if there are many enough, you can drive down the prices if there is competition between the mobile operators and later on also on the internet. We also believe in trade and fair trade when it comes to the global south. That's why the World Economic Forum now works so closely. We have an MOU with the African Free Trade Area, Continental Free Trade Area. It's 1.5 billion people. It's the youngest continent on the earth, and it's fast growing. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's very little intra-African trade. They trade with the outside, but not so much with each other. China being their biggest uh, trade partner with more than 250 uh, billion uh, US dollars a year uh, in trade. And the only way for these nations to really grow is that they also have things that they produce at home that they can sell abroad. And that um, manufacturing and also digitalization is at the uh, core of that. And we know that uh, also President Xi Jinping will uh, be hosting um, a very important uh, summit, Belt and Road, uh, here in Beijing uh, in October. And I know the development is at core of that uh, summit. We have seen the Belt and Road being updated. Earlier, it's mainly infrastructure yeah. and building infrastructure in the developing world uh, together with our partners. But now, it's much more than that. It's about green BRI. Uh, but at this moment, funding is important. Uh, so is the, the, the know-how to implement talents as well. So the list of challenges continues. How do you see that we still maintain this aspiration? I think it's very important that China is the second largest economy of the world, 20% of global GDP, also take a responsibility for development in other countries. That that's what at the core of BRI, that uh, one can also learn uh, from the way China has eradicated poverty. Never in the history of humankind have a country lifted so many people out of poverty in such a short time as China has done. Of course, it's not possible to replicate totally uh, this um, history, but I think uh, China is showing also increased interest of being a partner with many other countries that are less fortunate uh, than uh, China. And I think uh, China has muscles to do so. There's a lot of focus now on the debt in China is so high. But you know, most of this debt is domestic debt. Very little is external debt. I think we have a tendency of forgetting that. Mm. Thank you so much, Mr. President, as always. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much for inviting me. Great to be back on your channel. And that's all the time we have for today. I'm Tian Wei. On behalf of the team, bye for now. Once upon a time, in a land not so very far away, 
stories were told of the brave and the bold. The whole court fell silent to hear what the great warrior Mulan might ask for. Of mighty deities and powerful immortals. Immediately, the shimmering skin started to grow before his eyes. Of fated love and love sanctified. In dawn's golden light, New Lang said, Marry me. Of great journeys across fantastical landscapes. So the cat and the mouse climbed on the dog's back, and the dog swam across the broad river. In the company of friends and enemies and unimagined beasts. <laughs> Good to see you. Of ordinary folk with tantalizing stories to tell. Heroes and heroines all. It's incredible. How did you do that? Tales of sad sacrifice and victories snatched from the jaws of defeat. Stories of the wise, the accomplished and the quick of mind. 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3 wherever you discover your favorite podcasts. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in.